Well, we have been going through stories to live by. Just just looking at Bible stories, books of the Bible, uh, little little things that Jesus did, Old Testament stories, trying to catch some story. And, and uh, we're, we're going to kind of keep that going as we move into October because I'm going to focus October on parables of Jesus. So they're going to be stories, but they're going to be kind of these shorter stories that Jesus taught. But today I want to do something a little bit different. And instead of doing a story of the Bible, I want to do kind of more of a story of culture and then go back to the story of the Bible. Uh, I want to look at some stories about our culture and then critique those through some things that, that the Apostle Paul wrote. And this sermon was inspired by a, a little book. It was a sermon and then it was a little book written by a guy named Timothy Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Um, and so I want, I want to look at how we think about ourselves, our self-worth, our self-esteem. Throughout much of history, I mean, much of human history, everybody has kind of understand that there's something wrong with people. There's something wrong with people. Something wrong with me. There's something, a lot wrong with you, right? There, there's something wrong when we look around at people. And um, what is wrong with people? And, and, and throughout most of history, the answer to that was fairly consistent. What people said was, the, the problem is pride. Your head is too big. Okay? And, and, and so the, you have a superiority complex. You're puffed up. You're seeking your own glory, often at the expense of others. And so the solution to, to that diagnosis was, you need humility. What you needed to be done, and you need to just knock yourself down, or somebody needs to knock you down a couple of levels. You need to humble yourself. So the problem was a big head, superior or complex. Answer, knock you down a couple of rungs. Now, the, the interesting part about this is that in the last 75 to 100 years, we've actually totally reversed this information. And so uh, in the last 100 years, particularly making a sharp turn in about the 1960s, we, we changed our, our diagnosis and the solution to the problem. And so it wasn't that you have a superiority complex, it's that you have an inferiority complex. Your self-esteem is too small. So what we need to do is be positive. We need to be uplifting. We need to say, you're good, you're awesome, you can do whatever you want to do, right? You have low self-esteem, power of positive thinking, you need high self-esteem. Believe it, you can do it. So the answer was, was self-esteem, see yourself better. Counseling involved a lot of finding your self-worth. Bullies were bullies because they have low self-worth. You got a participation trophy just for competing in the tournament. You didn't even have to win the tournament. You got a trophy. You got a medal. Why focus on the negatives? What's wrong? And what limits you might have? Just make your wish upon a star. Get your fairy godmother. Work hard. You can do it. That's been the message. So we have these two competing stories, right? Superiority issues where what you need to be is deflated. <laughs> Or inferiority issues, what you need is self-esteem. You need to be inflated. Now, that's in the West. In, in other places, we could talk about, like in, Asia, in a lot of countries in Asia, where your, your, your value is actually in your community, is actually in your tradition. Um, but, but in the West, it's been these two sort of views. And both have problems. The old way of thinking could be very negative. It wasn't very optimistic. It didn't encourage people to step up. It had accountability, but, but not encouragement. And it was easy to then have low standards and not try it stuff and then call it humility. Like, I know I'm not trying that hard, but I don't want to be too puffed up. And you could excuse yourself from actually doing your best because you're being humble. 
But the news story has a lot of problems too. For one thing, for, for all this talk about self-esteem, psychological research has never showed that most people have a lot of problems with self-esteem. Everybody, statistically speaking, has pretty much the same self-esteem. And people with high self-esteem have never been proven to be more happy, more successful, and uh, um, more fulfilled. They don't, they're not any healthier than people with low self-esteem. Okay? The science says self-esteem doesn't matter. Besides the fact that the self-esteem mantras are not real accurate. When I was a kid, I wanted to be in the NBA. I wanted to be in the National Basketball. I discovered basketball. I loved it. I was like, I'm going to work hard. I can do it. I'm going to be in the NBA. Right? The problem was, I'm 5'9". Right? I'm not real athletic. I was never... I met, um, I met Magic Johnson once. He came into a facility I was working at to speak to some kids, and I was sort of helping basically be security for Magic Johnson. And he had retired, but he was so tall, and he was in such great shape. Like, there is no universe where I can guard Magic Johnson, right? <laughs> That's not existing. And so eventually I realized this is not a dream. I, like, I, I can't be in the NBA. Well, how sad. He gave up on his dreams. That's no, not sad. It was a stupid dream. It was a vain dream. It was a dream based on totally unrealistic expectations. It didn't have any basis on who I was or what God made me to be. It was just what I wanted. You can't just do whatever you want. One of the worst things you can do in your life is just live for whatever you want. Right? See, self-esteem without humility and honesty leads to self-deception. I'm just seeking what I want. When you just seek what you want, that is not good for you. It's definitely not good for anybody else or the world. This is the curse of participation trophies, right? Everybody gets a participation trophy. Nobody starts to understand how bad they actually are at something. And so they, they never either get realistic about what they are good at to pursue that, or they never get the sting of being bad at something so they work hard enough. I wonder how many people never got a gold medal because they got a participation trophy. And I look around the world today, I look at our country, and I don't like what I see, because I think there's a lot of people with high self-esteem, and, and they got their participation trophies, but, but, but they're spoiled and selfish. And they think they know everything, and they tell everybody on Facebook that, and, and they're unwilling to work, and they're unwilling to listen, and they're unwilling to take corrections to actually get better. And in the meantime, there's a lot of places around the world that are passing us. In terms of technology, in, te in terms of economy, in terms of, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things where the world is catching up. Like, all the self-esteem hasn't really helped, has it? And we have a pandemic, everybody with this high self-esteem has a ton of fear. So what is the Bible's answer to this? Well, the, the Bible uh, uh, doesn't talk about self-esteem. That's like really our term. It does talk about being humble, but, but I don't think humble just means like thinking really low of yourself. And so I want to unpack a little bit what true humility in the Bible, what Paul's answer to this is. And we can glimpse it if we read carefully in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 21 through chapter 4, verse 7. Now, I'm going to read this, and then we're going to, it's, it's kind of subtle what Paul's saying here. Okay, so you'll understand what Paul's saying, but what I'm trying to get to, I think you have to read between the lines a little bit with Paul here. But let's go. Paul says, So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death or the presence of the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. 
This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pr- pronounce judgment on me before the Lord comes, who will bring, bring to light things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of my heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul's writing to this church in Corinth, and Paul spent a lot of time there. He actually planted this church in Corinth. Okay, he started it. And then, like Paul typically did, he did he would get something going, and then he would sort of move along, right? He, he would keep traveling to try building in different places. And after him came this really sort of dynamic young preacher named Apollos. Now, Apollos had some theological challenges early on, and the, the church had to kind of come around him. Aquila and Priscilla had to teach him a little bit because he was dynamic and he could gather people, but his theology wasn't always good. But so Apollos came along. And they, they also got, uh, looks like a, a visit maybe from Peter. Uh, looks like they've had a number of leaders. And, and in, in, the, in Corinth, Corinth was a town, it was a, a kind of a businessy town, and it was a town with a lot of people who had done a lot of other things in their life and come there. A lot of them were former soldiers, which means they were like of low status, for when they when they were born, when they grew up, and then because they were in the Roman army and served for a long time, they came back with kind of high status. But it's kind of like somebody who had wealth, got wealth later, but didn't have it before, you know. And you, you the, the, what, what status do they have? There was a lot of a lot of changes in social status in Corinth, and so therefore there was a lot of division in the city, and that division poured over in the church. So there were like the the, the this class of people and this class of people and the, this class. They're in this class. These people, they were in this class, but they used to be in this lower class. And so how do you treat them, right? And so when they would have communion, there'd be all kinds of division. When they took a seat around the table, it'd be like, who got the most important seats? There's all this fighting. And part of the fighting was about who their leader was. So some people would brag and say, I I follow Paul because I was here back. I was here back in the day when Paul was here. And somebody said, well, but I, I was real close to Apollos. You know what I mean? I was on the Apollos team. And somebody said, well, but I spent some time with Peter when he came through. I'm on the Peter team. And then somebody would say, oh, I'm on the Jesus team. It's like, like that's the ultimate, right? Yeah, well, I, I'm on the Jesus team. Like, so you're little Paul team, you know. There's all this division, and they're using the leaders to, to, to actually justify the division. And, and Paul writes them and says, cut it out. Stop that. Because we're all servants. Hey, we're, we're, Paul, me, Apollos, like, we, we all just came to, to teach. We didn't come... Like, what are you boasting? And why are you boasting on what team you're on? As if you could boast because I taught you something. I taught it to you. You didn't come up with it on your own. And then Paul says this. He says, but me, with it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any other court, any human court. Well, that's an interesting comparison, right? Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't care what you say, and I don't care what any other court says. Any other court, like you're a court but actually, see, that, that's what often happens in life when we're trying to judge ourselves. We're trying to, like, figure out our self-worth. 
How do we figure that out? Well, we often do it with each other, right? We, we do it with the people around us. We compare, like, at least I'm better than so-and-so, right? At least, I, at least I didn't do something as bad as that. At least I did something better than that. Or, or how many of you, your, your, your valuation of stuff, um, like, it, it also comes from, like, your neighbors. Right? You ever had this experience? You think your house looks fine, and then your neighbor paints their house, and then you're like, my house looks like crap. Your house didn't change. Your neighbor's house changed. Or you think your car is fine until your brother gets a new car. And then you're like, oh, my car is terrible. Your car didn't change. It's the same car. How come, how come last week your car was fine? This week your car... See, we, we base our, our value. Why would you outsource your joy and satisfaction like that? Why would you base, if you're satisfied, if you have joy, why would you base that on the people around you? See, that's what happens. When we don't know what to do with ourselves and how we look at ourselves, we, we, we just compare based on everybody else. And, and our whole life becomes like a courtroom. And we're sort of comparing to one another. And we panic. Things so, seem so fickle. And, and when, when things get off, we get anxious about, oh, how do I stack? How do I compare? And to make a Star Wars reference, as Admiral Akbar would say, it's a trap. Like, you, you can't come out of that. You get caught, like, am I good enough? Am I valuable enough? Do I have enough? That word enough just comes up again and again and again. But Paul won't play that game. He says, I don't care what you say or any other court. Like, okay, you guys want to judge me? I don't care. I don't care what anybody else says. But then Paul goes a step further. This is where it gets crazy. He says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't care what you say. I don't care what they say. I don't even care what I say. I don't even care what my value is. Why does he say that? Because he says, you know, I can say what I want about myself, but what matters is I'm already judged. I'm already justified is the word that he used. I've already been declared forgiven, loved, enough. So he, he, Paul is this interesting guy, right? Paul can call himself the greatest of the Pharisees and also the greatest of the sinners. A lot of us don't like Paul because we can't quite figure out Paul. It's because he doesn't fit in any of our patterns. Paul can't, at the same time he's saying that he may not be justified, and he doesn't care what anybody else says, he's also telling them to follow his example. Right? Well, Paul seems kind of proud sometimes, and he seems like he has lower self-esteem sometimes. Yeah, because he's not playing your games. What's he doing? He's saying, I'm justified. I am who I am in Christ. He calls himself the greatest sinner who does what he doesn't want to do and doesn't do what he does want to what he does want to do, and and he he can speak of being all things to all people, but at the same time really tick churches off in his letters. He's kind of an enigma, right? Because he's not playing our games. He doesn't fit into these models of humility or self-esteem. What he says is, "I am who I am in Christ, and I know what that is because Jesus did that for me." I'm already judged. I'm already justified. Okay? The, the verdict is already out. I am loved. Let me hear that. The verdict is already out on you. You're loved. You're forgiven. Okay? The, the, the verdict is already out. And there's, there's such a freedom in that. To not be able to get... I don't have to be bogged down on what other people think of me. I don't have to be bogged down on what I think of me. I don't, I've never really cared what other people think of me. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I think of me and whether I think I did good enough, whether I thought that was well, you know, like, like I, I, that's the trap that I fall into more. 
But, but there's such freedom in saying, I don't have to do that anymore. I love how Tim Keller puts it. He, call, he calls it self-forgetfulness. Like, like the, the goal is not to think, of your, think less of yourself or to think more of yourself. It's to think of yourself less. To not have to worry about who I am and what's going on. For me, I have this freedom to find joy and try to find satisfaction because ultimately it's not about me. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's not about me anymore. So imagine living with that kind of freedom of self-forgetfulness. Now you can, you, like t- praises, criticism, whatever. It's not going to change me. I'm going to do what God has for me to do. Right? I can be totally honest with people because I'm not trying to save pay, face. Like it doesn't mean I can be rude and just say whatever I want. But I don't hide truth from you just because I'm worried you might not like the truth that I have for you. Because I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. Think about the freedom that that would give you. Think about the joy to be content with your car and your house color. To be, to be, like, it's not about your results. I don't have to worry about the results. I can just work hard at the results. Because I'm not holding the results. You can stop, outs- uh, stop outsourcing your, your joy and your satisfaction and just be content in who you are in Christ. Imagine that security. Oh, man. There, I've just watched as we've gone through this COVID stuff. We've gone through all kinds of questions of racial tension. And we've gone through all kinds of political divisions. Just how anxious everybody is. It's like everybody, even church people, are really flimsy trees with really weak roots. And as we're in a storm, they're like bouncing around everywhere, trying to find security. And often they do it by preaching at other people, by pleading for what is right, by trying to find control in being right. If you don't think that's true, look online for people's comments on vaccines. Right? Look at people's comments on masks and social distancing and how do we handle this? Because because people are holding really strong opinions why because they feel insecure a lot of times because they feel fearful and what happens is when we get like that no one is listening to each other and it's not even about being right in fact what we do is we end up locking ourselves into a position where we don't even want to hear anybody else's opinion or perspective that is a really dangerous place for us to be as a society we're getting rocked by the waves instead of being secure what if we just said Man, I, I know who I am in Christ. I don't care what these other people think. I don't care what I think. I'm just going to really be rooted and secure in who I am in Christ. And these other waves that bounce me around, eh, I'm just going to stay buoyed, anchored to where I need to be. And so I don't need to be right. And I don't need to argue with you. I can, li- I can actually listen to you. Even though I think you're wrong, I can listen to you and be in a relationship. That's, that's the other part of this, right? Now that everybody's getting so insecure, everybody's arguing, now we have to start breaking relationship. Like, okay, fine, if that's your perspective, then we can't be friends anymore. Like, no, if those are the issues that divide us, that's exactly the stuff we should be talking about. And imagine the boldness of self-forgetfulness. Like, th- this is the thing. Like, self-esteem... We, we've set that up to where like you can, you can be bold and you can go for it you can believe in yourself but imagine how much more bold you can be how much more you can go for it if your rootedness is not in believing in yourself I don't I should there's a lot of things I shouldn't believe in myself like, I have a whole lot of flaws 
But imagine the boldness is, if it's not based on me, it's actually based on Christ in me. I can try all kinds of stuff. I can be so much braver, so much bolder. I can go for it. And I can admit mistakes. I can learn from things. I can dream big dreams because they're not my little petty go to the NBA dreams. But they're giant God dreams. They're bigger dreams than my dreams. Self-forgetfulness causes you to be more humble and hold humble ideals because your life is based on love and grace. You can't claim any credit for what Christ has done for you. You can only receive it as a gift. Self-forgetfulness also causes you to step up more than self-esteem would because you can have the confidence that's not based on me, it's based on Christ. For a symbol of this, so there's this weird picture, right? Everybody see the weird picture in the bulletin? This is at my professor Len Sweet's house. And this is the door to his office and writing room. And he put a ship door there. Okay, that's, a, that's an antique ship door. And uh, if you notice, uh, the, the, the door actually has like some, some space at the bottom. So if you ever get sh- water in the ship, it stays a little bit in the room that it's supposed to. And Len got that door because what he wanted to do when he went into his office to write, he wanted to have to both duck down and step up. He wanted to have to humble himself and bow his head, but at the same time, step up into what he was doing. And this has always been, for me, a great picture of what I think the Christian life is supposed to look like. We bow, but we also step up. But those aren't opposite. Self-forgetfulness allows me to be humble and have self-esteem. To, to, be, to be humble, but, but, but also to step up and boldly do the things that Christ has, has called me to do. So I've always loved this image of of ducking down and stepping up. And I think Paul would too. I think this is part of what Paul is trying to say to these people. Stop arguing. Okay, You you guys are playing the wrong games. This is not an easy task. And our culture is not oriented this way. You've been taught humility and self-esteem your whole life. And it it takes a while to reorient yourself to this this idea of self-forgetfulness. Where you don't think more of yourself, you don't think less of yourself, but you think of yourself less. But if we know whose we are and we know who we are, we can find this security. We can find freedom. We can find joy. So let let me encourage you to do that. To find your identity. Find your esteem. Find your hope. Find your trust. Find your joy in who you are in Christ. And and I'm telling you that, that your life will be so much different if you do that. You'd be able to bow your head and step up at the same time. And Christ will be able to do great things through you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.